It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Richard Haas, a foreign policy expert, has said on many occasions that the Trump administration has the most difficult inbox in recent memory. Today, we discuss the escalating tensions in North Korea. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pansu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Today in the Pearls, we'll talk about the law repealing an Obama administration rule on Planned Parenthood funding. In the suit, we're going to talk about escalating tensions with North Korea. And in the hills, as always, we'll chat about what's on our mind outside of politics. Before we get started with the regular news, Beth, I just wanted to say that we are recording on Saturday and April the giraffe has had her baby. 
Well, that's good news. I like starting with April, the giraffe, having her baby. Because... Especially when we're going to go to North Korea. Right. I mean, <laughs> so like, let's, let's just, this is wild. wild. Yeah, let's just focus on the fact that we are just happy. I have been pregnant. I have been pregnant for longer than seemed humanly possible. Um, I can't imagine what it's like being a giraffe, but I'm just... I'm, I'm happy for you, girl. I'm happy for you. My zoo obsession is Fiona, the baby hippo at the Cincinnati Zoo, who they have in a little pool of water trying to get her ready to go in and live with her, you know, hippo brethren in the big pool. And it is the most adorable thing ever. I will put a link in our show notes to a Fiona video because nothing is better in this life than watching a baby hippo take a bath. Yeah, but hippos are mean. You know, it's like they have that statistic where it's like, you know, people think it's like sharks, but the wild animal that kills the most people are hippos. I mean, I'm sure baby Fiona would never kill anybody, but watch out for hippos. Say, don't, don't be fooled by their cuteness. Why are you my hippo buzz here? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, well, from that to abortion funding. So uh good segue. Mm-hmm. The Trump administration, well, actually not the administration, Donald Trump this week signed into law a bill that was passed by both houses of Congress that repeals a a rule put in place by the Obama administration near the end of its term concerning funding to Planned Parenthood. And basically what this law does is restore to states the ability to deny funding to Planned Parenthood clinics because they provide abortions. That seems like, I don't know, it seems like it would have some constitutional problems to let states overrule what federal dollars are supposed to go for. I don't know. I'd have to refresh my constitutional law class. This made a lot of news in social media because the headlines made it sound, the headlines almost made it sound like an executive order because I kept seeing like Trump quietly signs this rule. Trump, you know, behind closed doors signs this bill. I mean, like it, passed through both houses of Congress and in kind of a dramatic way because Vice President Pence had to cast a tie-breaking vote in the Senate. And I think that this demonstrates how difficult it is to cover what's going on right now because there's just so much news. But this probably should have gotten more attention from us and others in late March when it was actually in the legislative process. All that happened this week is he didn't veto it. I wanted to say on the abortion front, too, I meant to bring this up last week. I watched an amazing documentary on HBO called, I think it's called a, a Abortion Story or Abortion, the Stories Women Tell. And it was really good. They do. It's very nuanced. They follow like um, some pro-life people. It's sort of centered around Missouri and the fact that Missouri's got really strict abortion laws and people are being forced. They're down to like one clinic. And they talked to, you know, some pro-life people, pro-life choice student groups. They talked to women who'd had several abortions and regretted it and now work for the pro-life movement. They talked to women who'd had abortions and didn't regret it. They talked to women currently having abortions. They talked to clinic workers. It was really, really well done and very sort of nuanced, I felt like, and fair and just tried to try to just show the lay of the land. They did seem to have sort of the underlying theme thesis or sort of argument that no matter what it's something we should talk about more particularly for women who've had abortions they shouldn't be stigmatized they should feel free to talk about it and um they talked to like a young couple who gave a baby up for adoption they talked to an evangelical couple whose baby was not compatible with life and who had an abortion and their feelings about it like it was just really really well done i highly recommend it as we as it seems like we are increasingly going to see changes in abortion laws and funding and all the way it's 
either in the clouds philosophically or in the weeds policy-wise and forget that these things affect real women. We also had a really interesting back and forth between two listeners on our Twitter feed. One is a PhD and one is an MD. And I was thinking about how that this argument was such a testament to sort of the quality of people in our community because they were both respectful. They both made really smart points. And um, th- their argument was a little bit about the fungibility of money as a reason that people oppose funding Planned Parenthood clinics and the effectiveness of community health centers beyond Planned Parenthood in terms of the quality of services they provide. So, you know, you hear a lot about how Planned Parenthood isn't really about abortion. It's about all these other women's health services. And um, these two ladies had some disagreement and a lot of uh, personal and statistical knowledge going back and forth. And so that's something that you might want to check out on our Twitter feed as well. We also wanted to mention that the Trump administration has decided this week that they will, as a blanket policy matter, not share visitor logs for the White House with the public. Well, I'm, I'm of two minds about this. First of all, I mean, what does it matter when he doesn't spend half his time there and he's at Mar-a-Lago, you know, but the lack of transparency among the Trump administration, the desire to shield their tax records, who they're meeting with, the hugely problematic relationships with, with um, Jared and Ivanka within the administration. I mean, I wish I could say I'm surprised, but until Congress holds them accountable, I'm not sure why he has any reason to change his complete and total disregard for transparency. I'm interested to see what happens with this in the judiciary because several watchdog groups have sued over this. And one I know has sued for records of what happens with visitor logs for Trump Tower, Mar-a-Lago and the White House, which kind of seems appropriate given the way the administration is conducting itself. I'm wondering about Freedom of Information Act and how far it goes to. I don't know a lot about this topic, but I just as a PR matter don't get this. Like, what's this is such an easy thing to get right. The Obama administration released those visitor logs. They redacted them heavily because they protected the identities of kids who played with Malia and Sasha. They protected the identities of people who were there and it couldn't be revealed for national security reasons. Just redact it if you're not comfortable with it being out there. But it seems like such a boneheaded move from a PR perspective at a time when they don't need that. I think that's two things. I think one, you could take the view that they don't want to release it because they have something to hide. Definitely think that's a possibility. Um, I also think you could take the idea that he still doesn't, he has never been a public servant. He does not understand his responsibility of not just transparency, but openness and that your life is not your own in the way it was before. I don't think he has in any way, shape, or form fully taken that into account. I just don't. Well, I definitely agree with that, especially when you think about the travel and all of the costs that it is incurring for his family to travel as freely as they do. We put on our Facebook page maybe a week ago a report about how strained the Secret Service is just trying to protect them and how expensive all this travel is. And we keep hearing from listeners, why don't people care about this? Because it seems so antithetical to conservative principles. And I think it is. And partially it's because a lot of Trump supporters aren't conservative. I also think I heard a commentator say, and I wish I knew who it was. I, th- it, the person was talking with EJ Dion. I was listening on the radio, but I just didn't catch the name. 
But this person said, Trump voters did not vote for any kind of ideology. They voted for an attitude. And that is why they do not care about him changing positions. And they do not care about things like this that run so contrary to sort of drain the swamp because they didn't vote for any kind of position. They just voted for his demeanor and personality. And that explained a lot to me. Yeah, I loved that quote. I hearted. I always sort of like get in this in this thing on our Twitter feed where I'm hearting things, even though it doesn't make sense because I'm hearting our own tweets. But I'm like hearting your tweets. So anyway, um, I did it. I thought that was really a good way to put it. So would you like to compliment the other side before we move on to North Korea? Sure. Another person on our Twitter feed shared a really great. It was like the right, the latest favorability rankings, popularity polls, whatever you want to call it, of the governors. And it was like the top 10 were Republican governors in blue states. And they talked about how they're popular because they're seen as deal makers and they do a really good job of sort of not just towing the party line, but really trying to govern. Because I don't think you have much of a choice if you're a governor. So kudos to the blue, the Republican governors living at large in the blue states. I always think Americans are wisest when they choose divided government. I wanted to compliment a governor as well, uh, Governor Danelle Malloy of Connecticut, who has announced that he will not seek a third term. But what I really appreciated in the profile that I read about him was sort of his attitude about public service. He has struggled with approval ratings, taken a lot of heat from Republicans. And you could tell, I thought, in his remarks that he was sincerely doing what he thought was right. He wasn't in it for the wrong reasons. I think him not seeking a third term is another signal that, I mean, maybe I'm approaching this naively and I'm sure I'll hear from a Republican in Connecticut saying like, no, absolutely, you're wrong about this. But the profile made it come across in a way that I just found really endearing and indicative of the kind of attitudes that public officials should have. And I loved this quote. Throughout our work, we've tried to play the long game for Connecticut, not doing what is politically expedient, but rather what we believe is in the best interest of the people we serve today and for generations still to come. And I love that. And I think that's what all governors should be saying about their jobs. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's that's definitely how I think as a commissioner. So in the suit, we're going to talk about North Korea and the Trump administration's dilemma in dealing with North Korea. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors and I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. They say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. 
The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second-chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. So Beth, you've been doing um, research for a primer on North Korea that hopefully will have come out before this episode. But do you want to give us just sort of your impression as you dug in and maybe if you hit the high points? Well, I'll tell you that before I started doing this research, the amount of knowledge I had about North Korea and specifically about the Korean War was shamefully um, inadequate. <laughs> um, it's really been helpful to me to sort of dive in and answer all the questions that I try to answer when I do a primer, like what can I learn about the geography? And so knowing that North Korea is roughly the size of Ohio, it was helpful to me, mm-hmm. right? And that the population is huge. About 24 million people live there, which would be right between the populations of Texas and New York and the United States. So you have a lot of people, you have state control of all the resources. That's how they're you able have, to control people is they're on top of each other. There's already somebody watching you. And you have a history of conflict that mirrors a lot of countries in the Middle East. This has just never been a stable region. There are a lot of parallels to Middle Eastern countries in that that line between North and South Korea 
was drawn more for the interests and convenience in some ways of the United States and the Soviet Union than because of any distinguishing factor of the people living on either side of it. So it's just been really illuminating to me to understand how enduring conflict has been in in this country. Yeah, I told you you were ahead of me because all I knew was that my uncle fought in the Korean War and I didn't know much about. I, I think I had a sense that the line was arbitrary. But I mean, that was the sort of the extent and the, the Korean War sort of was like the step the the step sibling of the Vietnam War. It always seems sort of like it wasn't a big deal. But hey, war is war and we're still living with the impact of that. So clearly that's not the case. Well, and it's huge, and it almost turned into World War III because the United States considered using nuclear power against China in the midst of the Korean War, which is something I had no idea about. And you had all these stakeholders, Japan and Russia and China and the United States, and the United States kind of pulling other UN nations in, you know, 21 countries from the UN participated in the Korean War. So I just did not understand or appreciate the geopolitical impact that Korea has been having for a very, very long time in terms of the struggle between communism and democracy and the interplay of the superpowers. So there's a lot surrounding what I think we tend as Americans to reduce to like sort of this wacky culture and a strange dictator with maybe an inferiority complex who's over there like trying to develop nuclear weapons that can be shot with the push of a button from his country to ours. Mm. And that's where we find ourselves today, right? North Korea has been conducting lots of tests. It is becoming increasingly clear that they are trying to develop successful intercontinental ballistic missiles. And Your the sense Trump right now, ad- though, is that they do not have that capacity currently. Right. But that their weapons are much more resilient than we would hope. The Obama administration has been working had been working very diligently on cyber war against North Korea. So how can we disable those missiles before they launch? How could we intercept them once they are launched? We have been fairly unsuccessful on both accounts. And so that's why it's been reported that President Obama told President Trump as he came into office that North Korea was probably the most pressing threat in in the globe. Well, and I heard, I think it was Newt Gingrich, maybe, that was just talking about, like, you know, there's a reason that no other president has acted on North Korea, because it's hugely, hugely complicated. And it's not like you just take out this crazy dictator and there's no other repercussions. Yeah, it's hugely complicated. And I think it became even more so. So President Trump has been warming to President Xi Jinping of China and Suddenly saying, no, China's not a currency manipulator. Forget Mm -hmm. all of the debates that I participated in and trying to put some pressure publicly and privately on China to assist with North Korea. What I didn't understand again before doing my primary research is that North Korea, right after it sort of came into being after World War II, helped the Communist Party in China win the Chinese Civil War. Uh, And so there is a deep historical loyalty there. uh Aha, aha. Well, I read this article about the president of China giving, it was an example of like 10 things President Trump has learned so far. 
It's just so deeply embarrassing to think about the president of China giving like a short little lesson to our president on how the history of the region and how things really are. And it seems like something that happens over and over again with him. And it's so terrifying to think about somebody who just recently got the lay of the land, sort of making decision, life and death decisions that could affect that are so high stakes. There's a really interesting editorial about that in the Chicago Tribune that we'll put in the show notes that says exactly what you said. On the one hand, gosh, it's embarrassing that President Trump doesn't know anything and also that he often doesn't realize that he doesn't know things until he learns them. On the other hand, he has a fresh perspective here. He's certainly not entrenched by any particular mentality. And so maybe that can be helpful and maybe he can approach China in a different way. And, you know, maybe we can get out of some of our thinking. Now, I I feel like a fresh perspective is only helpful when it's backed up by strong intellect and sort of the empathetic skills of analysis, which I do not believe he possesses. So I don't know. I'm not encouraged by that. (laughs) I don't think he's a good decision maker, even if he brings a fresh perspective, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, I, I'm not sure that he's a good decision maker either. I hope that he has good decision makers around him. And I think an, a number of commentators are suggesting that probably the glowing praise he has received regarding being tough in Syria will influence him. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. With respect to North Korea. And I do think that is a very scary proposition because I think they're vastly different situations with vastly different implications well and it's like we know kim jong-un we know that he like he is crazy but i don't know if he's necessary and he seems to be a little more crazy than his father and that he is you know openly having people assassinated and there's lots of testing but i firmly believe as i did with saddam hussein that even the craziest dictators are self-interested and to start a war with the United States would most certainly end your regime. And so, you know, what I read a, a good editorial that was like, the unpredictable one here is, ni- is not Kim Jong-un. It's Donald Trump, because we don't know what he's going to do. We kind of have an idea of what Kim Jong-un is going to do. We don't like it, but we sort of have an idea. I would really like to better understand the people surrounding Kim Jong-un, because it's so weird when you start to read about him, and not just weird in the way that it's always been weird about Kim Jong-il, right? Where the state basically forces people in North Korea to believe all this mythology about him. And all the weird I mean, that's movie weird. stuff. Remember all the weird movie stuff? Yeah. I mean, it's it's very strange. But with Kim Jong-un, it's even weirder to me to think about the fact that he's only 33 years old. He's had a, a slew of health problems. He introduced his wife to the public, which is sort of revolutionary in North Korea. I mean, it's just... I don't know. Personality-wise, you read about how he's very awkward socially, doesn't make a lot of eye contact. I just need to better understand, I think, is this really about him as a dictator, or is he sort of surrounded by uh, generals or others who are more of his father's era that are pushing in this direction? So I guess Kim Jong-il's father was there too, but, you know, I don't think... I guess there's always sort of... The, the sons of dictators who didn't even grow up in a different regime or a different sort of world perspective always seem extra scarier to me. The same with Saddam Hussein. It's like they grow up 
psychopaths. Like there's not even they didn't even come through the revolution and realize like war is bad. You know what I mean? Like they just grew up as dictator sons who could do whatever the hell they wanted. Like they're always the scariest, I think. Well, and if you think about so Kim Jong Un's age, the United States in his lifetime has looked very aggressive. And there have been statements out of North Korean media about how all of this missile work is necessary so that they don't suffer the fate of Iraq or Afghanistan or Libya. And so you can kind of, I'm not making any excuses for what I do believe is a rogue regime that commits unspeakable acts of human rights violations against its people. I get how we don't, make it difficult for them to manipulate belief about the necessity of weapons in their country. Yeah, seriously. And again, the question is the same one we were asking about Syria. We always want to do something and we always want to do good. But is the real question whether every president up until this point has decided not to do anything because in doing something, it would make it so much worse. And I am just not sure that Donald Trump is capable in his sort of what we've talked about before, um, zero sum worldview. And the belief that doing nothing is the best track. I mean, and like his sort of the way he talks about things, the way he talks about real estate and deals and winners and losers. I just don't know if he sees if he's capable of seeing that as the right choice. I think North Korea is so particularly complex because if you were just dealing with Kim Jong-un, then perhaps he would respond to the United States flexing its muscle a little bit, showing, hey, we're willing to strike back because he understands power and he understands weapons. And maybe that would work. I think the harder thing is that you don't know what China is going to do. Mm-hmm. And what China is saying publicly is that it's it, it expects the rhetoric to cool down, right? They talked about storms yeah. brewing and that was whoever, very, that was very scary. The storm clouds gathering, whatever. Whoever yes. wrote that, give them a raise, China, because they did their job well. And saying that whoever instigates a, a military conflict here will bear the historical consequences of that. I mean, that was pretty strong language out of Beijing. And so I think And the same thing with the cyber warfare. I think the Obama administration was wise to be trying to develop uh, cyber warfare solutions against North Korea. The trouble is, again, if it's just North Korea, maybe you worry less about countermeasures. But if China gets involved in that way, I heard David Sanger talking about this on a really excellent episode of Fresh Air. And David Sanger's reporting is just essential if you want to understand cyber warfare. He's a senior correspondent with the New York Times. So he was saying that mutually assured destruction is always what prevents nuclear warfare, right? Because if you use your nuclear weapons, you know the United States is going to fire back with its nuclear weapons. But if you have managed to infiltrate the United States' nuclear systems... And so you know that you push your button and then they push theirs and nothing happens. You feel a lot better about pushing your button, right? Yeah. I mean, this is it was chilling to listen to this and this is vastly over oversimplified. So there's probably not a lot of risk, hopefully not a lot of risk that North Korea has that capacity. But China becomes a different question. Well, and it seems like with this whole I know that. 
on the day we're recording, they had a um, sort of a big military parade. And it sounds like a lot of this is related to the 105th anniversary of the birth of Kim Il-sung, the country's founder. So, I mean, it seems like he's trying to some of this. I think we can maybe depend on being for effect. But again, I don't again, I'm not sure he's the one that's unpredictable. I think it might be Trump. Well, you know, and for whose effect? Because while a lot of this feels directed toward the United States and the world, he is trying to keep control of his country that is economically not in great shape. You know, there's horrible famine in the late 90s that killed estimated up to three and a half million people. And, and there have, there have always been skirmishes at the border. I think he probably lives with a constant sense of both internal and external threat. So when you have a big show of might like this, maybe it's for the United States, but maybe it's just to persuade people that a coup isn't a great idea within the country. That's a good point. Well, I did, I was reading the New York Times article about the parade and they did say that It says, to military analysts scrutinizing North Korea's broadcast of the parade, the most noteworthy element seemed to be three types of long-range ballistic missiles. One of them apparently knew. Awesome. (laughs) Yay. It's still, I mean, it doesn't sound like anybody really believes they have the capacity quite yet. And it is hard to think, like, well, the best thing we can do is sit around and wait till they develop the capacity. But I don't know. I'm not a military analyst. I think that my most radical thought about North Korea is that it is time to engage with North Korea diplomatically and directly. Didn't we try that recently? Didn't Obama try that? Did I, did I dream that? Well, everything I've read about the Obama administration approach to North Korea has been this, this idea of strategic patience, that they weren't going to do anything that would seem like appeasement of the regime, and they weren't going to act solely to diffuse tension and anxiety. Mm. And then kind of behind the scenes, it was all about the cyber warfare and defenses to these ballistic missiles and ways to shut down the ballistic missiles before they are operational. So similar to what happened in Iran. I'll tell you this. There are some times when Congress or the president are tackling problems and you and I talk about them and I think they need to just let us in there and we'll fix it all. This is not one of those times. Not one of them. (laughs) This is one of those times where I'm like, you know what? I'm glad I don't do this for a living. I'm glad there are smarter people than me with lots of security clearance trying to figure this out because I am not up to the challenge. I think that that raises the point of having a little bit more compassion for our elected officials on one hand and being really dang frustrated with them on the other hand, that they allow such silliness to happen, especially around domestic policy, when they're, a lot of them are getting briefed on things that we would not be able to sleep at night if we knew. Oh, it's so true. It's so Why true. is it not more sobering for them? I don't know. I don't know if it's the culture that just says... Well, you play the game no matter what they're telling you behind closed doors. I don't know. What other also bugs me is that if I would also like more sort of compassion for our elected officials and understanding that you getting on Facebook and just saying blow blow them to oblivion, not helpful, not reflective of the complexity of the situation, really not nuanced and also upsets me. Well, and I think 
similarly, it's not very helpful when we complain about every use of military force in the world because there are complex. I mean, I'm going to tell you, my stomach was in knots reading about what's going on in North Korea and the serious desire that they have to be able to send missiles from their country to ours. Well, speaking of that, let's talk really quickly. It's not necessarily related to North Korea, but I thought that the actually the coverage of the mother of all bombs was less than nuanced. Thoughts? I agree. I was very frustrated by the coverage of the mother of all bombs. And I seriously think that if it weren't colloquially known as the mother of all bombs, we might not have ever heard about it. Yeah. Who named that? Change the name. I think that it just, you know, it was it, it and my frustration as a progressive is like there are real complaints here, guys, like don't give flames to the fire of, well, they would just complain about everything and they turn every, you know, they they manipulate every issue into a way to criticize Trump. Like, let's not let's not let's not give ammunition to that argument. I'm not saying we should be I'm not I'm not I do, I do not know enough about the situation to know if bombing that particular target was called for or not. But I think that, you know. This whole like the size of the bomb thing. I don't know. I think that got way too much play. Even Vox was like, which is pretty dang progressive, was like, everybody calm down. Well, I thought the piece that I shared on our Facebook page from Wired was the most helpful thing I read about it because it wasn't trying to make a political point. It was just trying to explain that this is just a really big bomb. And it's like all the other bombs we use, except that it's really big and we've had it for a long time and we haven't used it because there hasn't been an appropriate target. And I guess what's really unique about this bomb is just that the ratio of explosive to casing is very different. Like there's a lot more explosive and a lot less casing than the way other bombs are made. And that's why it's most appropriate for targets like the kind of cave structure that it was used in in Afghanistan. I mean, I think if you want to start being critical or get into nuance or dive into the situation, then you have to start asking questions about what we're still doing in Afghanistan and how that's going. And that's a a topic for another day and another one where, you know, I would need to do a whole lot of research to be in a good place to talk about that intelligently. And I guess that's the thing I wish that we could just keep um, reminding ourselves, I'm getting slower and slower to comment on these situations on social media because I keep having that thought. Like, gosh, I don't even want to, I don't even want to retweet the Washington Post about this because it sounds like a big dramatic deal and I want to understand whether it is or not. And that's why I thought the coverage was just such a press failure on the, the mother of all bombs too, because it, it just so quickly got out of control. Yeah, I agree. And that's not to say that it's insignificant that we're bombing Afghanistan. I, you know, I don't want to be so desensitized that we say, eh, just another day, great big bomb. I mean, that's certainly not the case. It's just, can we understand things in context? Rarely. <laughs> <laughs> that's my answer. Rarely. <laughs> Well, and I think that there is a lesson in that word rarely, because especially as I look at the history of North Korea and the political pressures surrounding how we have responded to North Korea, South Korea, and that region, East Asia generally, you can sense that the American people, for the most part, have been pretty disengaged, which makes any action a lot more difficult and any inaction a lot more difficult. Right. And so I think us caring about 
the, the whole globe more often would be helpful to our leaders. All right. We're ready to move on. Yep. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Sarah, what's on your mind besides politics this week? 
Well, I shared a Jen Hatmaker blog post on Facebook and Twitter, and particularly on Facebook. We had a very rousing discussion about um, her very open and, and in many ways vulnerable post about being uh, sort of eat up and chewed up and spit out by the what she called the Christian machine. And for those of you who don't know, Jen Hatmaker is an incredibly popular Christian blogger. But sort of, I would call her a crossover blogger success. And um, during the election, she posted on Facebook that her and her husband had decided that um, after much study and reflection that there was no theological or biblical problem with gay marriage. And it did not go over so well. Well, with some people. And so this was her sort of talking about the pain of that experience in relationship to Good Friday. What do you think about the post? I was amazed by the intensity and number of comments that we got when you posted it on our social I knew, media I know channels. Our people. I knew our people. I know our people well. And I thought, ah, they're going to want to talk about this and I want to talk about it too. So, yeah. Well, my initial reaction to the post was that I really thought that it was beautiful. I thought that she, I think here's what I admired. You know how sometimes you and I have talked about how you have more emotional range than I do? <laughs> I felt like there was such a, a capacity for grief in her writing and her ability to just so clearly articulate the suffering that she was feeling, even with that sort of awareness that like her suffering is maybe, and I, I don't think the awareness of this came through, but she has to know that her suffering is like not the greatest suffering on earth. And I think it's brave to be so open with your suffering when you have that awareness. So I just really appreciated that. And I thought that the parallels to Good Friday were interesting. I take the criticism that, you know, Good Friday is not about you. (laughs) But in some ways it is, too. My biggest comment, and this might be getting, like, way niche, as you pointed out. This article might be a little niche, but this might be getting way niche. It made me think a lot about a theme that has been circling through Richard Rohr's emails lately, that as Christians, we have lost the Christ element mm. and that sense like of that connectedness email. it's such a good email and and the the thought that we've made the rules of christianity and even jesus himself the whole ball game yeah like when it's like actually, one long test yeah instead of recognizing that that is like a teeny tiny part of what christ is and and what Christ is, is a kind of uniting force among all things in the universe. So it, that's the path that it took me down. I mean, I have liked Jen. I, I, I go back and forth with her. I told my friend, you know, she, she kind of burst on the scene with her book seven and she had these sort of seven rules. I think she was ahead of the curve as far as like um, minimalism in a way and sort of turning away from consumer culture. She did a really I think she did very good early work on that. And then I read another one of her books, and there was a moment in the book where she said to my friends in celibate gay relationships, and I thought, nope, friend, nope, not going there with you. That's I, I, I read immediately into those sort of that coded language, and I thought, I, I like a lot of what you have to say, but I just have a, I have a pretty strict zero tolerance policy with regards to, um, and that doesn't mean like I can't be your friend. Or anything like that. And that it, I don't I think you're a bad person if you believe gay marriage is wrong. But like as the mother of three boys. I just take seriously like presenting an environment for them in which they know that uh, however they choose to or, or however they are not choose to be uh, whoever they are is OK with me. Anyway, that's another that's a, another uh, discussion. But when she said that, I was like, uh, uh-uh. 
So when she came out and said, like, I've done study and I no longer feel that way, I was very interested. And, you know, she's funny. And. But she always has fallen just a smidge short of sort of the the capacity for that kind of writing that like Liz Gilbert or Brene Brown or even Anne Lamott, who gets on my nerves sometimes, too, has. I I can always I think I, I think it is. I can always feel Jen Jen Hatmaker trying, if that makes sense. And that's mm. you know, that's not because that's not a bad thing. Like, I'm not mad at her. It's just I can feel it. And it kind of bugs me. And I could feel it with this post. Although I did. I had we had one commenter who made an incredibly insightful remark that maybe her frustration was like she's like, I just maybe a part of it is I feel the same way. And she has this big platform to say it. And I feel like I'm screaming into the abyss at these same feelings. And I thought, oh, yeah, that might be some of it, too. You know, like <laughs> I just feel frustrated that like, well, yeah, thanks for catching up, Jen. Like all, some of us have been having those experiences for a while. But she is, you know, I'm glad she came out and did what she did. It must have been, you know, it's like I told my friend Reagan, like. To be famous, nobody, none of us understand what it's like to be famous. You don't, I don't think that's the thing you can even begin to understand until it happens to you. And it would be hard enough to be famous just based on being yourself and how that would be wrapped up in your identity. But for your fame to be inextricably linked to your spirituality would be incredibly difficult in particular should that uh, fame or the source of that fame or the platform shift dramatically the way hers did. So, yeah, I I mean, I feel I I feel empathy for her. I know that must be incredibly difficult. Well, and you think about the expectations that we all place on our communities, whether Mm -hmm. we find that sense of community in a political party or a family or a faith community. And, you know, I don't know for for Jen or anybody else how far that faith community extends. But if she really felt like all these people are my people and, and suddenly they, they weren't her people anymore. I mean, that's, that's hard. Yeah. So what are you thinking about this week, Beth? I have become really into this podcast. Um, how I built this from NPR all about entrepreneurship. I, the desire of my heart is to be an entrepreneur at some point and we're hearing, working on it. We're working on it. We're working on it. That's right. And hearing from people who've done it and also just hearing all these stories. Here are my two conclusions about entrepreneurship from the episodes that I have binged on so far. Number one is that you just have to go for it at some yep. point. Like there's not going to be a smooth perfect runway. Perfect time. Yeah. It's like having a yeah. baby. You just got to exactly. jump. Not a perfect time, not a perfect financial transition. You just have to do it. And then the second thing I have learned is that I think entrepreneurship that is successful and works out is really good for relationships because there are so many stories of these wonderful, long marriages around companies that have formed the Crate and Barrel people, Kate and Andy Spade, Melissa and Doug. I mean, it's just been so fun to listen to. So I highly recommend after you listen to your new episodes of Pantsy Politics, that you <laughs> jump over to how I built this. Well, good episode, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We will be back on Friday with an episode of The Briefcase. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you to our producer, Nicholas Holland, and to our chief creative officer, Dante Lima, for all the work they do to make Pantsu Politics possible. And to all of you for making this community so special. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Pantsu Politics, or Instagram at Pantsu Politics. 
Please leave us your feedback and send us your ideas for show topics and Pantsuit Primers on social media or you can email us at sarah at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com or beth at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. 